1: with Discover, limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. It's Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel. The NBA season is kicking into gear and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe and secure. Getting your money out is super easy. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And I love building those same game parlays. And FanDuel is now live in Ohio. So use promo code JASON T and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. Call 1 800 NEXTSTEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. Call 1 888 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. Call 1-877-770-STOP in LA. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Dial one 877 hope and why or text hope and why to 467369 in new york call 1-800-522-4700 in wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net in west virginia All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight, presented by FanDuel here at the Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody! We are going to be taking a break from our mid-season week to zoom in on a couple of particular games from last night. We're going to look at the Phoenix Suns going into Golden State down four of their five starters and beating up the Warriors. The Miami Heat coming back from down five with less than a minute left to pull out a win against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the Thunder. And then last but not least, the uh, LA Clippers at home beating the Dallas Mavericks. Kawhi Leonard was incredible in that game. So we're going to zoom in, do instant reactions to those three particular games. Then we'll get back to our midseason stuff. The rest of this week, we're going to be doing our championship tiers, just basically kind of putting the teams where I view them in terms of their ultimate goals um, at this halfway point of the season. And then later this week, we've got five burning questions for the second half of the season. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And then if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. So, <clears throat> this one, this uh, Suns blow out of the Warriors was yet another really, really bizarre NBA result. This was a Phoenix Suns team that was without their starting backcourt and Devin Booker and Chris Paul, without their starting center in DeAndre Ayton, and without Cam Johnson still with the knee injury, so they're down four of their five starters. This was also a Phoenix team that had lost nine out of ten games. This was also a Phoenix team that had failed to score 100 points in four consecutive games. And yet they went into chase center against the Warriors at full strength, albeit dealing with some stuff, but still at full strength and hung 125 points on their head and won by double digits. Now, to be clear, the Warriors are also dealing with some struggles. They've lost three straight. Their defense is not very good right now. And they're reincorporating Steph Curry, reincorporating Andrew Wiggins, and incorporating, for the first time, really, this week, uh, Andre Iguodala. And we'll get into all that in a little bit. But no matter what, there's no reason in the world why that Warriors team, under any of those circumstances, should have lost to the Suns. But what did I tell you guys after Oklahoma City hung 150 on the Celtics and kicked their ass without Shea Gilgis alexander What did I tell you guys after Charlotte went into Milwaukee and smacked the Milwaukee Bucks the other night? I said this just happens a lot this time of year. Like I said, the initial excitement of the NBA season has passed, and the standings are all jumbled, so everyone's kind of still in striking distance. There's no real, uh, like, uh insurmountable standings hole. And, you know, we're not to that March-April time where teams really pick up steam before we head into the playoffs, right? Generally speaking, in my opinion, it's right after the All-Star break that things really pick up steam. So from about mid-December to about mid-February, that two-month period, you're just going to see a lot of really strange basketball results because you're going to see really uneven effort. And on any given night in this NBA, with how much talent there is, if you bring a poor effort and the other team brings a good effort, you've got a good chance to lose. Phoenix came in, and you know I, I I will spend some time talking about the basketball of it all on a basketball level. Phoenix came in and played with a lot of physical force. Mikhail Bridges and uh, Mikhail Bridges and Josh Okoji in particular were applying a ton of ball pressure. And they made Steph feel really uncomfortable, and obviously he wasn't in shape or in rhythm to really handle it. Mikhail Bridges, Torrey Craig, Bismack Biombo, Dario Arch, and Jock Landale absolutely destroyed the Warriors on the glass. They out-rebounded them 57-45. to They had 19 offensive rebounds that led to 25 second chance points, and they were flying around the rim, blocking seven shots. And on the offensive end, three guys in particular for the Suns really stepped up into those creator roles and played really well and confidently. Um, now, mind you, the Warriors weren't defending, but we'll get to that in a minute. Mikhail Bridges put up 26 points and five assists. Dwayne Washington came in and provided that all-important pull-up shooting that is, uh, you know, like I always say, so important to beat specific NBA coverages. He had 21 points and five assists. And then Damian Lee only made three shots, but was just downhill all night long, drawing fouls. I think he was 14 for 14 from the free throw line, finished with 22 points on only three made field goals. Um, you know, so that was enough for them on the offensive end of the floor. And then, you know, Steph was clearly out of rhythm and out of shape. That's to be expected guys. Like I could have told you, and I'm sure most of you Warriors fans would admit that you probably didn't expect Steph to play well last night. Almost every single player in NBA history, whether it's LeBron, whether it's Steph, whether it's Kobe, they all are rhythm players. They need to get lift on their jump shots. They need to have feel on their finishes around the rim and on their pull-up jump shots and and all of that is takes rhythm and reps to get your legs underneath you and to tune in that handle and that jumper. Really, in my time watching basketball, the only player that I've ever seen that seems immune to rhythm stuff is Kevin Durant. And he's just a a, a really weird uh uh you know kind of exception that almost proves the rule. Like it was bizarre to me that he was able to step into an NBA finals game. After being out all that time with a calf strain, and then just walk in, and I think he had like 11 points in the first quarter before he tore his Achilles, like and was just hitting everything, you know. And then he'll you'll, you'll go, you know, two months without playing with a knee injury, or one month without playing with uh, with a knee injury with this uh, recent MCL scare. He'll come back in his first game and he'll shoot well, but that's like he's the alien when it comes to rhythm. Every other one of the greatest players of all time has that issue. That's to be expected. Then there's also the reincorporating. Um, Element like getting Andrew Wiggins in like Andrew was hunting his shot in that first half. He was taking a lot of bad shots but it's because he's just trying to get his rhythm back. So you've got Steph taking 22 shots, trying to get his rhythm back. Andrew Wiggins, I think, took 16. He's trying to get his rhythm back. That kind of disrupts the offensive flow, an offensive flow that the Warriors had with Jordan Poole and Klay Thompson being the primary shot creators. So that obviously was going to throw a big wrench into their offensive organization. They looked really clunky. There was a stretch there in the second quarter where the Warriors, like, bobbled the ball just out of bounds or to the other team, I think on three different occasions in the second quarter, just giving, you know, just clunky, giving the ball away. That's all you really need to get an upset like this. Them playing as hard as they can, killing you on the glass. Couple guys get hot offensively. You're sloppy offensively because you're reincorporating guys. That's what you get. The Warriors defense though, is the big driving force behind their recent losing streak. They've lost three in a row now. The Detroit Pistons are a bottom five offense. The Orlando Magic are a bottom 10 offense. Now, the Suns are a top 10 offense, but not with this group of players. They literally couldn't score 100 points for a week and a half before this. And Golden State, in this three-game stretch, is allowing 118.3 points per 100 possessions. It's not a scheme issue. It's not a personnel issue. We've seen this group defend at a higher level, even just during this phase with the injuries, even without Andrew Wiggins. They just simply aren't playing hard enough. There's one guy in particular I wanted to get on here because um, he said after the game, this is Jordan Poole, Jordan Poole said after the game that the Warriors need to flip the switch. And I mean, he's right, but we're halfway through the season now. We're halfway through the season and the Warriors are below 500. It's been time for them to flip the switch. And Jordan Poole, in particular, has been one of the biggest weak links on the defensive end of the floor. Last night, his point of attack defense, both on ball and in closeout situations, was really bad. Like, embarrassingly bad. Getting beat off the dribble by guys, he has no business getting beat off the dribble by. Now, to be clear, it's not just him. I'm just going after him because he was the one who brought it up after the game. The entire team is not bringing that requisite defensive effort. But, you know, like... One of the reasons why I look at defensive rating, and defensive rating is not necessarily the best indicator of what a defense can do, but what defensive rating is a good indicator of is it's an average of your defensive effort over an 82-game slate. What defensive rating is is a great way for me to look at what your basketball character is as a team. And if you have that top 10 defense, one of the big reasons why that's such an interesting hallmark for NBA history, having a top 10 defense, is because that shows that over the course of an 82-game slate, you proved that on a night-in-night-out basis, you played harder more frequently. That means you have better habits. And when you get into the postseason, when all the stakes are higher than they've been during the regular season, you fall back on your habits. We talk about that all the time, like handling adversity. We talk about that in our regular life. Like if you have a lot of adversity in your personal life, let's just say your to-do list is exceptionally long and you feel very behind on stuff and you're overly stressed out. What's going to determine your ability to manage that? Your habits. If you have good habits in terms of waking up at the same time every day, good time management, blocking off time in a way that makes sure that you keep peak productiveness, not wasting time on social media or doing nothing. If you are good with your time management, if you have good habits... Then you will attack that list item by item, and eventually you will regain control of the situation. That's kind of the deal. If you're down 10 on the road in Memphis in a 1-1 series, you're it's stacked against you. What's the one thing that's going to get you back into that game to make it a 2-1 lead in the series versus a 1-2 deficit? It's going to be leaning on your defensive habits, leaning on your rebounding habits, leaning on your execution habits. That's why I pay such close attention to that stuff. The Warriors have flashed the same ceiling several times this year that they have last year. That's why I still have them as a top-tier contender. It will take somebody beating them in a playoff series for me to take that off their plate because it just hasn't been that long since the same core group of guys played that level of basketball. But What's concerning now is their habits have shifted. If they are no longer a team that consistently brings the requisite effort on the defensive end. It's inconsistent, and they will need to rectify that before the end of the season. I believe they will. My guess is that Golden State finishes the season with a top 10 defense because they, I expect them to go on a run. I think eventually the things that I'm saying – are things that Draymond is already thinking, that Steph is already thinking, that Clay is already thinking, that Andre Iguodala is already thinking, that Steve Kerr is already thinking. And I think they'll address these things, and I think they'll figure it out. But make no mistake, through half of this thing, it hasn't been good enough. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura podcast network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States.
1: All right, moving on to Oklahoma City, Miami. This is a wild finish. The Thunder were up 111-106 to 106 with less than a minute left um, after Josh Giddy attacked to close out through a really nice bounce pass to Aaron Wiggins on the baseline for a dunk. Victor Oladipo runs down the floor and shoots a step back three and it goes in. Then they go down the other way. It's 111-109. Ken Rich Williams is posting up in the middle of the floor and he takes a little fadeaway over his right shoulder and they come up into his landing area and they draw a foul. They review it. I I have thoughts about the landing area thing. I think uh, it kind of makes defense borderline impossible in the NBA. Not going to talk about that right now. Regardless of how you feel, the call stood. But then Kendrick Williams goes to the free throw line and misses both free throws. Aaron Wiggins comes flying in, gets an offensive rebound, but trips and kind of fumbles the ball right into Victor Oladipo's hands, and he goes streaking down the right sideline. Jimmy Butler... Drops everything and sprints to the rim for a deep seal. This is one of the, my favorite things to see from big athletic forwards. You see LeBron James do this all the time. You see Anthony davis Giannis. You see a lot of these like big, fast forwards do this a lot. But in transition sometimes is your best opportunity for a quick post-up because the defense is not set, so you don't have help defenders digging down into your post space. Guys are still sprinting back. Everything is disheveled. Even when you are sprinting back, the first thing you do is sprint back to a player – And then once you get matched up, then you'll get into your help side. There's like a little brief window there, like a five-second window of chaos. Another thing I would refer to that to is semi-transition, where it's kind of like, it's not like a run-out dunk, but it's a run-out action, whether that's a quick run-out post-up or a quick run-out pick-and-roll. It's taking advantage of that five-second disheveled period between the run-out and the half-court set. And Jimmy Butler ends up catching Jalen Williams deep under the basket, does a quick pivot drop step towards the baseline and pump fakes. Jalen Williams leaves his feet, goes up into his body. Jalen Williams should have just grabbed him and, and taken the foul, at least sent him to the line and make him make two. But instead he turns his body to the side to try to avoid the foul call. So Jimmy just jumps up into his shoulder, draws the foul, and makes the layup. Now it's 112 111 after he makes the free throw. Go down to the other end. Shea Gilgis alexander takes another step-back jump shot, one he's made several times this year to win games, and he missed it and the game was over. It was a really impressive win for Miami, considering they had no Tyler Harrow, no Kyle Lowry, no Bam Adebayo. So a, a team that already is so thin in the front court that um, lost, you know, one of their most important front court physical presences. Uh, there was a whole thing with Dwayne Dedman getting into an argument with the coach, and, and uh, it looked like he might have been kicked out of the game. But, it, you know, they gutted out a win with veteran players, and Victor Oladipo and, and Jimmy Butler making veteran plays, at the end of the game. But I want, I, I want to actually, cause we just talked Miami last week. I want to uh, zoom in on OKC for a minute. Cause we haven't really talked much about them this season. So I'm doing a video uh, that I'll be recording later today. That's going to be coming out. I, I don't know if it's coming out tonight or the next day, uh, but we're going to take all the 30 teams in the NBA and I'm going to split them into tiers. And um, like, it'll be like the top tier contenders all the way down to the tanking teams and everything in between kind of associated with where they are in their development period. And, you know, there's kind of like a process. The first phase of the development period is like the tanking period. It's like, you're just terrible and you're accumulating draft assets and taking on bad contracts, doing whatever it takes to build your asset trove and try to develop young players. But then there's this other tier that's right above that, that I call the young and scrappy, interesting and scrappy tier. These are teams like, you know, like the Indiana Pacers or the Utah jazz or the Oklahoma city thunder where it's like, they're kind of hovering right around 500. they They're not obviously going to make some sort of run in the playoffs. Nobody in their front office thinks they're going to win the championship. But what they are is a team that has a clear identity that's forming, a trajectory that's trending in the right direction. And at some point in the future, they'll make some sort of all-in trade move, whether that's signing a veteran player, getting a specific need on the roster, and that's when they'll start to view themselves as a legitimate contender. That's where Oklahoma City is right now. But what's crazy is I think they're at the top of that tier, and I think they're poised sooner than later to take a leap into that, you know, fringe contention tier. I think they're the next, the candidate, the best candidate to be the next like Memphis, what Memphis was last year when they made their playoff run. That young team that has a super talented roster, a bona fide star leading the way. And I I wanted to look at the roster because, like, you know, when I when I really think about What makes a team a contending basketball team? There are specific things that I'm targeting, right? Like, do they have high, high high-end shot creation? Yes, they do. Shea Gilgis Alexander. He's literally one of the 10 best players in the league, in my opinion. Or right around there, right around that 10 to 12 line, right? He's a bona fide star. So, check, okay? Do they have backup ball handling? Guys that can create a shot when SGA is not on the floor. Yes, Josh Giddy had a triple-double last night. 18 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists. I watched him play in summer league. It's a little funky because he can be ineff- inefficient at times. It's it's It can be a little clunky, but he can run high, pick, and roll, and he can generate high-quality shots. He can attack closeouts and make high-quality shots. He can do stuff on the second side. He is a perfectly fine secondary ball handler. Do they have a guy that can guard the other team's best player? Yes, Lou Dort. I think he's a top-tier 3 and D player. Luka Doncic literally said earlier this year that he's the best defensive player in the league. Kind of an interesting archetype that Lou Dort is, is which is like that little bit shorter wing, like not the 6'8", 6'9", but he's so strong that he can defend up several positions. And that lower center of gravity with all that strength makes him really difficult to knock off of his spot. And so he's really good at disrupting the base of pull-up shooters, which is what makes him such a good player to put on the best perimeter stars in the league. You need to have modern bigs. Bigs that can thrive on the offensive end, creating spacing and being able to do things with the basketball. And on the defensive end, the ability to run the floor in transition and protect the rim. They've got two of those guys that I really like. Chet Holmgren and Alexey Polkoshevsky. They're both stretch bigs that open things up spacing-wise for Shea Gildas-Alexander and their other guards to get downhill. They can both dribble and pass the ball really well for centers. And Chet should, in theory, be a top-tier rim protector when he gets into the league and gets into NBA shape and, and and establishes himself. So, check. They've got the star. They've got the guy who can guard the star. They've got the modern bigs. What's that last box, if you guys had to guess? I like having lots of athletic players with size and strength on the wing who can do dirty work for you. That's defending multiple positions and switching. That's grabbing contested rebounds on both ends of the floor. That's running up and down the floor in a high-paced transition game. That's everything associated with the roles that take place around your stars. And the Thunder have tons of these guys, not just Lou Dort. They've got Jalen Williams. I watched him play at Summer League, and I was blown away with his athleticism. I was tweeting all these like videos of him getting all these uh, uh, really like high-level double pump underneath the rim reverse dunks and things along those lines. He can do a lot of stuff with the basketball in his hands, too, putting it on the floor, knocking down jump shots. Uh, Super interesting young wing. Aaron Wiggins, completely functional young wing. Kenrich Williams, completely functional young wing. So as we zoom out of this, they've got all the boxes checked. Really, if I had to say one need would be another dribble creator, preferably a veteran guard that could come in and run second-side stuff in the occasional bench group – and just provide some veteran experience when it comes to organizing players and helping them feel comfortable and confident in big environments, particularly high-stakes environments in the playoffs. Guys that I'd be looking at if I were them would be like Chris Paul or Kyle Lowry, an older guard that's the their lack of athleticism won't be a problem surrounded by the, all the aggregate athleticism on the roster, providing other, additional shot creation and veteran presence. But if they do that, they will have an extremely well-rounded roster. And when you combine that with another year of development for all these young players, bringing in Chet Holmgren to anchor the interior, I think we could be looking up this time next year and being like, man, the Oklahoma City Thunder have the three seed right now? Like, are they going to beat somebody in the playoffs this year? Kind of the same way we did with Memphis last year. So really exciting time to be an Oklahoma City Thunder fan. All right, last game before we call it a day, uh, Dallas and the LA Clippers. Clippers really blew this game open in the second quarter. It was 35-33 to 33 at one point, and then suddenly you look up and the Clippers were up by 22. Really killed them on the offensive glass. Robert Covington played really well in this game, crashing the offensive glass, and then he had like a couple of big strips on Jaden Hardy driving to the basket. Always has been a good help defender. Really good at using his hands to disrupt players, particularly in the shooting pocket. He always attacks you down low rather than attacking up high, and which is another thing you can do with long arms. And arguably with the best players in the league, that's the best way to bother them because most of the best players are good at finishing over upper contests above, uh, you know, back where they're shooting in their pull-up jump shots or layups at the rim. Um, Norman Powell was also incredible during this run. He rescued a possession with a sidestep three on the left wing. He had a pull-up three and pick-and-roll at the top of the key. Then he scored a bunch of times in spot-up possessions. He hit a three out of the right corner. Um, he had a really nice uh, closeout attack on the left wing where he hit a banking floater. He had another closeout attack on the left wing where he got to the middle and got an and-one layup. Out of 138 players this year in the NBA that have logged at least 100 spot-up possessions, Norman is really solid, 44th at 1.11 points per possession. So he's roughly an upper third spot-up guy that we have in the league this year. And really, those numbers are convoluted by the fact that like Norman Powell was terrible for the first 10 games of the season. In his last 23 games, Norman Powell is averaging 18 points per game on 50% from the field, 45% from three, and 80% from the line. So, a nice little influx of talent for them. Kawhi Leonard, masterful night. 33 points on 12 shots. Just 9 for 12 from the field. 8 of his 9 makes... Or jumpers. You know, I tweeted this out earlier today and it always blows me away. Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard have the weirdest stat lines because they'll have like these games where they'll have between 30 and 35 points on like less than 15 shots. And then you'll look at the shot chart and they'll all be jumpers. It's kind of unbelievable the way that Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant can be that efficient on that incredibly difficult shot diet. But everything with the Clippers comes down to health. When Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are on the floor together this year, they are plus nine points per 100 possessions. That's great. But the problem is those two guys have only played 702 possessions together this year, which is less than seven games worth, essentially, if you wanted some sort of equivalency there. So, I mean, it's just really hard to evaluate the Clippers because we can't ever see their top end because they can't keep their players on the floor long enough to build any real rhythm. Um, And then the Mavericks now have lost three out of four games because they aren't defending. They're giving up 122 points per 100 possessions over this four-game stretch, which is 29th in the league over that span. All right, guys, that is all I have for right now. Like I said, keep an eye on the feeds. We've got our contender tiers coming out, and then we also have our five burning questions for the second half of the season. As always, I appreciate your support, and I will see you guys next time.
0: The Volume.